0: songs. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for today. Every day that we wake up, every day that you give us is a new day of service to you, a new day of enjoying the myriad of blessings that you just lavish on us, and another day to get to know you better, to fellowship with you, to sense your presence with us, your leading, your guiding, and just uh, the joy, peace, love, and comfort that comes from that. We pray that you would bless our service this morning. As we sing, we are singing to you uh, songs of praise and of testimony of the things that you've done in our lives. Mm -hmm. So accept it as our worship, and we pray that it would be joyful in your eyes and your ears and your heart. Use it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start with Psalm 113 and uh, kind of alludes to what I just prayed about. From the time you open your eyes in the morning till you lay your pillow, your head on the pillow at night, we should be thinking about God and praising Him. Because when you open your eyes, you're saying, I'm still alive. He's got something for me to do. We're breathing in and enjoying uh, a beautiful home that we're in or uh, all the things that God has in store for us. At the end of the day, we can look back and see all the things that God has done for us, all the blessings that He's laid on us. So from the rising of the sun till its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised.
1: rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, His glory is above the heavens. Praise the Lord, praise all servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be His name, the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forever. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and on earth? So servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. The name of the Lord wonders thy more and forever.
0: Sounds like y'all believe that. Great hymn about what we have in Jesus Christ, and that's victory. Victory over sin, victory over all the things that plague our lives, and one day victory over the very presence of sin and His presence forever. Oops. i
1: heard an old old story how a savior came from glory how he gave his life on cowering to save a wretch like me i heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning then i repented of my sin And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due Him He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, and he caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, Come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he brought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion He has built for me in glory, and I heard about the streets of gold Beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing
0: flood. Amen. You may be seated. thing about the loving kindness, the mercy, the grace of God is that it is limitless. Uh, There is no sin in our lives that He won't forgive instantly when we ask. Nothing that wasn't covered by the blood of the cross. There's nothing that happens in our life that isn't under His scrutiny and in His hand. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy loving
1: kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. Thy judgments are like the deep. Preservest man and beast How precious is thy loving kindness, O God And the children of men take refuge In the shadow of thy wings They drink their fill from the abundance of thy house and now this given to drink of the river of thy delight Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens Thy faithfulness reaches through the skies Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God my judgments are like the great deed, O Lord thou preservest man and me How precious is thy loving kindness O God and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings They drink their fill of the abundance of thy house. And thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights. Thy love and kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the sky. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God, thy judgments are like the great deep. O Lord, thou preservest and me, O Lord, thou preservest men and me. Lord, thou preservest and me.
0: The Apostle Paul, as he taught. The uh, new churches that he began, he was teaching them the doctrines of the church that had never been seen before. The Old Testament prophesied and showed that one day God would invite the Gentiles to be part of his chosen people, but nobody really understood that mystery. And today we look at the glorious mystery of God choosing us, wanting us, bringing us into his family, his church It's a glorious, glorious mystery.
1: Him, your holy ways, O oh Lord, your glorious power our wind, from which the stars were born. How could we ever understand the moving of your hand? How could we ever come to grasp? The one who never began Oh, what a glorious mystery you are Oh, what a glorious mystery you are Though we only see in part completely one of our hearts, Oh, what a glorious mystery you are Who can comprehend your gracious mercy, Lord Great loving kindness that would send a Savior to be born. Why would you Jesus die for us? The curse your perfect name. Why would you come to reconcile those who cause your shame? Oh, what a glorious. Miracle. Mystery, you are! What a glorious mystery you are! Though we only see in part, you completely won our hearts. Oh, what a glorious mystery! mystery you are. You are. Power, and oh, what a glorious mystery, mystery. Oh, a glorious mystery. mystery you are! And oh, what a glorious mystery and oh,
0: Christians, our salvation is not based on our own amount of faith. Um, We know who we're believing in to complete the work that he started in us. It's not about our own strength or power. It's about knowing who we believe in and that he is able to keep that he's committed to us in that day.
1: I know not I God's wondrous grace to, to me he hath made known Nor why unworthy as I am he claimed me for his own But I know my believer and am persuaded that he is able To keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me did impart. Or how believing in His word brought peace within my heart. I know oh, my believer and am persuaded that he is able To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day I know not how God's Spirit moves convincing men of sin Revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But I know oh, I have believed it, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I know not what a good or ill May be reserved for me or weary ways or golden days Before, before His face I, face I see But I know my I have believed And am persuaded that He is able To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noon may fair For if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know I have believed it and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day.
2: reading this morning will be out of Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 28. So that's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 28. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words of encouragement. Thank you how um, your uh, son David, you know, he knew of your promises. He knew that you would not let your son, Jesus, uh, fall to decay, Lord, that you raised him again. Help us to have such confidence as this, Lord, as we listen today and, as he said, learn more of your ways. Uh, Just build in, Steve, what you want us to hear in our hearts, to listen well and put into practice, Lord, and just make us anew, afresh as we walk away today, that we might glorify you as your lights in this world. We praise you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.
3: Good morning. Glad you could be here at Hope Bible Church this Sunday morning, working our way through the summer. We've had 30 days in a row of 90-degree weather, six days away from an all-time record, so hope it cools down some, but we will see. Thinking of heat and hot, uh, you might have seen that picture on the Internet. Uh, there's a tree and lightning strike, and they said the lightning strike was five times hotter than the sun. And so what happened, it hit the tree in a certain way where the tree was burning from the inside out. I thought, wow, it's just a real cool picture, but it's just, just inside that the heat came in and just burning like that. Remind me of the burning bush Moses saw back in time of Exodus. But what I thought of is that, you know, what God wants for our hearts is to be hot for him. Stirred up, fired up, however you want to say it, motivated, excited. And we all know as Christians that, you know, sometimes we're that way, but probably more often than not, we're not that way. It's easy to get sluggish, to tired, and and, and, and we live in a world, we have a flesh that sometimes can affect us, and we need to be ones by his grace, by his spirit, are stirred up. And it really is the grace of God, it's the word of God, it's the fellowship, it's a number of things, not just one thing. And one of the purposes of this morning here, this time together, is to hear a word, and be stirred up by the whole collective time together. The Word, the fellowship, the singing, all those things. That's what God wants. And then, by His grace, as we go through the week, to be ones who are stirred up and hot for Him as well. Today, we'll look at John 11. This is the last section in John that we're going to be looking at. We started this a few months back with John 3. This is an important chapter. And I was thinking of going into John 12, but there's just... I said there's too much here. We're just going to finish with this. And the main subjects in this chapter are the resurrection and faith... And God's glory. And turn your Bible to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. It's going to work our way through a number of verses here. Not go over everything, but a number of what I believe are some of the key points. We'll start with verses 1 to 4, John 11. We read, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word of him, saying, Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus, Mary... And Martha were very close friends of Jesus. We understand that. Luke chapter 10, you recall the story where Jesus went to visit Martha and Mary. And Mary was sitting at his feet, learning from him. Martha was in the kitchen preparing a meal, I believe. And uh, then in Mark 14, and it mentions it right here in these verses, we read about how Mary had this very, very expensive perfume, that which was valued as worth a year's wages, very expensive and she anointed his feet with this perfume. Really, it's like, as some people believe, a pre-burial service for him. Well, situation is, is uh, Lazarus is sick. And the, and the two sisters send for Jesus. Looking at the text, it seems like he might have been about a day's journey away. It wasn't like just an hour. He's probably a day's journey away. He couldn't get there right away. But they wanted him to come. And Jesus' response is important and very instructive. We read this in verse 4. He said the sickness is, is not to end in death. Now, we know this story. You all know this story. Lazarus ends up dying. And we read later in this chapter that Jesus raises him from the dead. And so, so Jesus' answer that it wouldn't end in death is correct. He did die, but it wouldn't end that way. He was correct what he said there. But, but the main point, and then we'll talk about this as we work our way through these verses, the main point that Jesus was making was that this sickness and death would be that which would end and result in himself and God being glorified, okay? And, and that's what we read there. The sickness is not end of death, but for the glory of God. The Son of God may be glorified by the very important that we always think this way. And so I want to frame this teaching with that verse again in our minds as we move ahead here. Now, when someone gets sick... Uh, we usually pray for them, right? Isn't that true? You hear somebody's sick or it goes out in the prayer chain or a text or something, you pray for them. And it's good that we pray for people when they're sick. That's a good thing. But I believe what this is saying is that it's more important that we pray for God to be glorified. Okay. It's, again, it's fine. We, we should pray for people. Or let's let's extend it. Let's say somebody's going through any kind of trial or any kind of difficult situation, any kind of problem. We all face trials every week. We pray for people, I believe, every week, different people, things come up, and it's good. It's good to pray that God gives us the grace to get through the trials, to get through the difficulties, you know, or maybe for the trial to go away, whatever, either, it's either one, the trial goes away, or we get the grace to go through it, okay? It's good to pray that, but but ultimately, most important, what, what the Lord is telling us in these verses, we need to pray that God is exalted through the situation. I mentioned this verse. I can't remember the exact number. Psalm one o nine, but it says, "But you, O Sovereign Lord, help me for Your name's sake." That is for Your glory. Then it goes on to say, "Out of the goodness of Your love, deliver me." That is, yeah, deliver me, help me. But ultimately, it's for You. Yes, I want to be delivered. We should pray that. But ultimately, it's for His name's sake. That's the point. That's the, probably the probably the main point we're making today. It's right there. Okay, that's that's it. We got a lot more to say, but. That's where we're going. John eleven five and 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And so Martha and Mary, uh, in their message to Jesus, told them that the one you love is sick. Okay, that's what we read before. The one you love is sick. Now it's important. And you can't understand this unless you have a, a Greek text. But the word love there... When they say the one you love, Jesus, the one you love is sick, is the word phileo. We've gone over this. That's the relational, the brotherly, the friendship kind of love. And they were very good friends. Friends, If you think about Jesus, who he hung out with, he hung out with these people, we don't know how many times, but a number of times. They were friends. They had relationships. They did things together. I'm sure they had meals together. But what does it say in verse 5? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so what do you think this word love means? What's the Greek word here? It's not phileo. It's agape. It's agape. Very important to see this. It's very important to see this. And agape, of course, is that spiritual kind of love, the most important kind of love there is. And there's no doubt that Jesus loved them with a the phileo love. That's true. He had that friendship, that, that family-type bond with these, these three people in that family. But what was most important is he loved them this agape way. Very important that we understand this and this is always important as you think about your life as you go through the days always aware you know many verses his loving kindness is everlasting God loves you all the time and, and, and what's paramount in his mind and in heart towards you and what you need to understand is he's loving you with his agape love all day long all the time through the night this, this, this spiritual love this supernatural love this unconditional love that he has for you you don't want to forget that The love that God has for you, this agape-type love. Then you see that he stays two days longer. What's Jesus and God doing? (laughs) What are they doing? They're letting this situation get worse. And in fact, what's their plan? What is their plan? To let Him die. That's what happens. We know the story. That's what happens here. This illustrates an important truth for sometimes, you know, somebody's sick and you're praying for this person you know. And the person gets worse. Their condition gets worse. And you wonder why. I mean, it, it could be, I mean, you've, you've all seen this. I, I can't help but think, everyone of you experiences this. You're going through something, and, and, and maybe you ask for prayer. or Somebody else is going through something, and they ask for prayer, and it gets worse. Where's God? What is going on? Now, I don't have all the answers here. I'm just going to give you three general truths. Because God is God. Who am I to say what he's doing? But I'll say three things that I know are true. One, he's sovereign. Which means God does what he wants to do. You can't argue. He's sovereign. Two, God is loving or good, as I said. We know the verse, God works all things together for good. He loves you in this situation. Okay, that's true. And the final thing is he's wise. That he's infinitely smarter than you. That is, he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he is doing. Why the situation went from bad to worse, to maybe now is this situation impossible. Bottom line is that God wants to get glory, a lot of glory. The more difficult, the more impossible the situation, the more glory that God gets when there's a victory. You all understand this. The theory is pretty simple, isn't it? It's really simple. It's to practice. And all of you have had situations that have been similar to this. And it's difficult, okay? That's life. God is working. Something else. John chapter 11, verse 14. We're going to look at different verses here. Verse 14. So Jesus then said, no, verse 11. Then he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awake him and out of sleep. This is when we learn that, that Jesus dies. And uh, he learn that Jesus dies. And so he goes to awake him. Now he goes to wake him. Now he goes to raise him from the dead. Now that's what he's going to do. And since he's dead, it's going to be, again, as I said before, a much more amazing miracle, bringing him then a lot more glory. That's what we understand. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus then said to them, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What's the other main reason Lazarus was getting sick and dying? What is it? It's very simple. What's it say? So the people involved in this situation would believe in him, would put their trust in him. That's, that's what it is. We understand that point too. If there are no trials, no sickness, no problems, you wouldn't need God, would you? Really, would you? No. You wouldn't need faith in God. God gives you problems. He gives you trials. He lets you know that you're human, that you have flesh, flesh, that you have sickness, whatever you have, so that you trust in him. That's what it is. And so there are times then when Jesus knows that you Need him. He wants you to get sick or go through some trial so that then you come to him. I mean, think about your life. How many times has there been when you've, something's happened and you don't go to God first? Maybe it's an hour later. Maybe it's a day or longer. Whenever you have a tro- problem, God says, right away, come to me. God wants you to go through difficulties, sicknesses, whatever it is, so that you go to him and that you look to him so that you trust him. So you ask him for the victory. Then he gets the victory. Then he gets the glory. That's, that's all we're saying here. That is we believe God so that he comes through for us or that other person. But we also believe God so that he gets the glory. And that's what we see. John 11, let me go back and just give you this big picture again. John 11 and 4 and 40 are the really two key verses in this whole chapter as I look at it. John 11:4. when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Very important connection between faith and God's glory. verse It's a simple verse to memorize. I had it memorized for years, and I think about this a lot. Did I not tell you that if you believe, if you have faith in me, if you trust me for the situation, you then will see the glory of God? That's what's going to happen. Very important. Very, very, very encouraging that we see this, that we understand this. Turn it back to John chapter 11, verse 20 to 27. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Clearly, we see that Martha is a believer. She's one who had trusted in him. And so Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's on the way to this village, and he sees Martha there. He talks to Martha. And his goal with Martha, and his goal with all of us, really, is to encourage us. And so he's there. He encourages Hey, I'm going to raise him again. I'm going to raise him again. And I always you remember this. Another truth, we talk about God loves you, is that God's desire is that every day of the week, you're an encouraged person. And so the things you go through, the situations, the fellowship that God wants you to have, the word, is to encourage you. Because life is hard. And you can get discouraged very easy. We all know what discouraged means. God doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants you to be encouraged. That's what he's trying to do to encourage her. Verse 25 and 6, again, two of the key verses in this chapter. am the resurrection, Jesus said, and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, these are key verses. She's emphasizing the importance of faith, especially as it relates to salvation. That is a salvation or victory, it, 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 it doesn't depend on the flesh. It doesn't depend on what you can do or not do. It doesn't depend on your strength, it doesn't depend on anything about yourself. It depends on God, that's the point, and on having faith in God. That's what he's saying. It is so easy for each one of us. I mean, it just happens so simply where we put the trust in ourselves, whether it's some relational thing or a work thing or whatever it might be. we got to learn to put our trust in him, and that's what this is saying here. It's got to be in the Lord, trusting him to do his work. There's a, there's a verse. Is, if you have a Bible, Find If not, just jot it down, or you can think about it later. Exodus fourteen, thirteen, and 14. It's one well, of those classic verses, different ones like this in the, in the Bible, but uh, it's, it's when Pharaoh is after the Israelites. They're trying to get out of Egypt and, you know, looking difficult. You know, there they are. And they've got these hordes of armies behind them. Moses said to the people, verse 13 of chapter 14, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Last phrase. Sometimes, as a Christian, God is working through you. He is working in you. You know, you're trusting him, and he wants you to do this or that, you know, and you see the victory, and still the victory of God. Sometimes you do nothing, like here. So it's interesting. God's working, and God's working all the time, in and you and through you and all kinds of situations, sometimes completely apart from you. But again, that, I want to read it again, it's so Well, just stand by and see the salvation of God. You have to stand there and you have to do nothing. That's what I said. So just remember that. That's an encouraging point there. The point back to John 11 is that, that these verses tell us that if we're saved, we'll live forever. And we're talking about physically and spiritually so. So here in John 11, Jesus told Martha that her brother would rise again. And I personally believe, and some might disagree on this point, I personally believe he was talking about the two resurrections, not just one or the other. Two resurrections, that's what he was saying. And, of course, we see in this chapter here, in, in John chapter 11, we see the first resurrection that takes place later. We'll read it. It's the end of the chapter here. And he physically raises him from the dead. But I believe... He was also saying that he would raise him again in the future at the end of this age, at that time when Lazarus and all believers would be glorified. That's other resurrection. That's what I believe he was talking about. You see, Lazarus had just died, okay? Jesus' plan, we're going to see in a few minutes, was to raise him from the dead. That's what he was going to do. So Jesus, Lazarus died. Jesus raised from the dead. But then Lazarus dies again, Right? I mean, just the facts of the matter. There's no person that lives on forever and ever in this world. Only Jesus does that. He died again. That's that's what happened. But God, Jesus, is going to raise Lazarus again the last day, the end of this age. And and there's just a handful. I didn't try to figure them all out, at least biblically we know. There's a handful of people that have died twice. You know, there's that. You know, there's that one boy that Elijah raised from the dead. There's the son of Nain, Luke chapter. There's a few people that have died twice, and others, I'm sure, the apostles are raised from the dead when they're doing their ministry back in that first century. And are raised first physically, die again, will be raised spiritually and physically. So that's what's going to happen. And so that's, that's what he, what he says here. Jesus says, then, I'm the resurrection and the life. Powerful phrase. That is, the resurrection has to go with this word life. You can't really separate them. What does he mean by this? First, resurrection results in life. Jesus dying and being raised, that, that that is his resurrection is the key to life. His resurrection is the key, then, to spiritual life, to eternal life, to having this eternal, personal relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there's no victory over death. There's no life no eternal life, there's no love, there's no joy, there's no peace, just sin, then death, then hell forever. The, The contrast is extreme. Without the resurrection, there's no God, no victory, there's nothing. It's clear, as we read this text here, these verses here in John 11, 24, 5, and 6, that Martha knew about this resurrection. She said, he'll rise again in the last day. And most good Jews understood that. Turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, at that time. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So he's talking in verse 2 about the resurrection. That's what he's saying. That's what he understood. Back to Job. Job chapter 19, another reference to this, Job chapter 19, 25 to 27, Job is right before the book of Psalms, Job 19, verse 25, I like how it says it here, Job speaking, A difficult life he had there, particularly this trial he went through, but he had hope. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Verse 26 conveys that. He says, my skin, my flesh, my body is going to be destroyed, but yet in my flesh I shall see God. There has to be a resurrection. It's implied, I mean strongly implied by that verse 20 to 26. So that's that's what people believed. And of course Jesus purpose here is to help her learn more about the resurrection, help her learn more about faith. We continue on. I want to turn now we're talking about the resurrection. I've turned back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 verses 24 because it talks about this resurrection. John 5:24 to 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and it does not come to judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, I, Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So what did we learn? That people receive this. This is verse from 24. People receive this spiritual life, this eternal life, when they believe in Christ, when they believe in God, and the result is that they won't be judged for their sin. They won't come into God condemnation of course this believing that he's talking about here takes place during a person's life on this earth before he physically dies second we see that jesus has authority to judge to condemn and to give life very important only jesus christ himself given this authority by the father has the has the authority then to to give life to people and in one hand, life to believers, to those who receive him, to those who trust him, and only then the authority to condemn, to judge, to send to hell, those then who reject him and his offer of mercy. So we see very clearly here that there's this resurrection of life, there's this resurrection of judgment, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge, and he has the right to judge. That's, that's what's, what's being said. But verse 29, I'll read again. Says they'll come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So we understand important here. There's a resurrection of life, and there's a resurrection of judgment. Turn in your Bible to Acts 24. We'll see this. Paul, I believe, is it's about Paul here. 24 to 24:15. 24, Acts 24:15. So the point here: there's a resurrection of life. And there's a resurrection of judgment. That's what we see in, in, um, in John 5. But here in verse 15. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Okay, so just a simple truth. I want to make sure you understand that. The resurrection of life is, of course, for believers and only for believers. And when it happens, believers will be glorified, will be then fully saved, body, soul, and spirit. And when it happens, then a believer's salvation is finally and fully complete. Very important that we see this. Turn your Bibles to Romans 8 28 to 30. This, of course, is speaking about believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Most of you know what that verse is. But in the context, we need to see this. Because God's ultimate goal for you as a believer is that you are fully saved. You're not fully saved right now. Not at all. But Romans eight twenty-eight is true right now. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God's working all the details of your life. It's all working out what's the goal, what's the purpose. We keep reading verse 29, those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his sons that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What's it mean when it says be conformed to the image of his son? That's say you got to Brand new body. That's when you're glorified. That, that's the goal. You have to connect 29 with the first 20. You can't divorce them. You often have to divorce them. and Okay, fine, you can separate them, but you really need to put them together. That God's working things out in your life now for that purpose in the future when you'll be fully saved and be glorified. But then 30 gives a wonderful picture, the big picture of your salvation. Those whom he predestined, your salvation started way back in eternity past, is, is, is in the mind of God. He also called and these whom he called he also justified these whom he justified he also glorified. So again, glorified that is what happens, what takes place at this resurrection of life. That's that's what's being said in these verses. Now what this is saying that is an hour is coming. An hour is coming, and this means the resurrection is is still future. The resurrection of life has not yet happened, okay? John chapter 6, 39 and 44 won't look there. It talks about there's this last day. And it says the resurrection of life occurs on the last day. This last day, you should also say is the day of Christ. We know that verse in Philippians 1. Confident he began a good work on you, will perfect it on the day of Christ. Okay, the last day is the day of Christ. The day of Christ is at the end of this age. And then at Christ's coming. So that's, that's when this last day is. So this resurrection of believers occurs then. The resurrection of the unbelievers doesn't take place then when Christ comes back. It's not then. It takes place at not the end of this age, the end of the next age, end of the millennial kingdom age, at the end of Jesus' thousand-year reign on this earth that's when it happens. is called the great white throne judgment. Turn to Revelation 20. We'll see this. Revelation 20. Resurrection of life for believers curse at the end of this age, at Christ's coming. Resurrection of judgment for unbelievers occurs at the end of the next age. We read in verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing there before the throne. And the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, the dead referring to the unbelievers, according to their deeds. But their deeds were faulty. See, he gave up the dead which were in it, the death, and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, that is, people who had died, and their sins went to a place, and it says there's Hades. They were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone's name, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. I believe it also happens. Is is at that time, or is believers will have a, a body, not a glorified body. But a hideous body, a sinful body, a body that's fit, able to be punished eternally so. Because in our minds, we can't think of something, you know, there's fire and it just destroys it, just a few ashes. And and this is a really sobering, this is a whole sobering concept, this resurrection of judgment for the unbelievers. Back to John 11. Now this resurrection of believers, as I said, refers to those believers who've who've already died. Okay. This takes place at Christ's second coming, the end of this age. But but turn to First Thessalonians chapter four. Need to see this. Chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse um, fourteen. It's interesting how this passage includes this point, really maybe say starts with it. If we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That is the predicate, the basis for our Christian life is the fact that Christ died and rose again. And we believe in that truth. We believe in that fact. And only if he rose from the dead can we then be raised again from the dead, have this resurrection of life that we're talking about here. What it says there is, is, we'll continue on. verse 15. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. That is, some have fallen asleep. Some believers have already physically died. We all know believers who physically died. Some are still alive, and some will be alive under this earth when Christ comes back. That is, they will be alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word caught up is from a Greek word from which we get the word rapture. Really a, a, a Latin word, but Greek to Latin, rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with him. So we have this rapture. People are going to be alive. Maybe some of you in this room here, we don't know when Christ come back. or in the end times. It could be... Rather soon, whether that's in five years or ten or fifty, I don't know. Nobody knows, a day or hour. It's going to happen. And I say relatively soon in view of the whole length of all eternity. Relatively soon, okay? And so it's going to happen. And believers alive on earth, the word rapture, just the word that means suddenly, rapidly, quickly, believers are going to be taken from this earth to be with Christ. They'll be glorified. As soon as, again, I don't know the exact split-second timing you know, or are you glorified right when you're lifted from the earth? Or are you still on earth when you're glorified? Or you're 100 feet? I don't know. But right in that time proximity, the rapture, the glorification of believers who are on this earth. Well, we have to understand from these verses of sin in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 16, and 17, the resurrection of believers happens a split second or a 2nd before the, the rapture of the believers. Okay. Right before. Right before. That's what happens. Then together, the resurrection of believers who already died, the rapture of believers who are already on this earth—they're all glorified. Then together, they go up and meet the Lord Jesus in the clouds, and from that point, then they all take off to heaven. We come to Revelation chapter seven, verses nine to eleven, where they're all worshiping the Lord. And the interesting, interesting encouraging thing about this is—you know—we talk about what's going to happen in your life in the future. Is you'll be there if you are a believer. You're going to be part of that whole process. you know. Whether you've already died, or whether you're on earth, but you'll be there meeting the Lord Jesus in the clouds, and then you'll be shot up to heaven with him and be with him forever. So, I mean, that's wonderful. That's the truth. So you can look forward to that day. I mean, I'm just telling you what the Lord tells you about the future. It's, it's going to happen. And so, the resurrection... And the rapture then result in believers being fully saved and their salvation finally being complete which happens at the end of this age. One more verse here on that Matthew 24 just just so you see this I know we're focused on John 11, but this truth about the resurrection needs to be clear in our minds Matthew chapter 24 verses 29 to 31 Matthew 24 29 Matthew 24 that classic chapter about the Lord's coming, the best single chapter in the Bible, I believe there is. Verse 29, has us talk about the tribulation, or verse, verses before 29, talk about this great tribulation. We're going to, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That verse is the sign or the signs that this age has ended. The question is asked in verse 23. They asked it. Jesus, the disciples do. Well, what's the sign of the, end of the age? This is it right here. This is the answer. These cosmic disturbances. Things are dark. Everything goes dark. Verse 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great Glory. As everything lights up, in fact, that verse 30 has to be seen in context with verse 27, which says, just as the lightning f- comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Y'all understand lightning, you have a huge lightning strike, and it's at nighttime, the sky lights up, right? You've seen that. And so, so what's going to happen is this, the world is dark, and of the age, Christ comes back, he lights everything up, then verse 31 He'll send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. I believe the four winds relates to the four winds of earth, that is, believers on earth are raptured, end of the sky to the other, believers who've already gone to heaven. Okay. And so that's the gathering together of believers, and then that resurrection of life takes place. Let's go back to John chapter 11. Let's read 25 and 26 again, key verses. I'm the resurrection, the life, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What's Jesus saying? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life, which means that we can have life and we can live forever because Jesus is the resurrection can be fully saved, live forever, because he is the resurrection and the life. That's what it's saying. But there's also saying that death isn't a problem for Christians. So what if you die? So what? A lot of people worry about sickness. I mean, there's a lot of it. To, I mean, again, it's, it's a concerning thing if somebody's sick, especially loved ones sick, you know, especially if they're really, really sick. It's concerning. But if they're saved... I mean, to be honest, to say it simply, not too harshly here, but so what? If they're sick, if they're physically dying, and if they die, so what? I mean, yes, we should mourn a little bit, but not mourn too much, because they're in a much, much better place. So what? So what? Because of Christ's resurrection, we have the victory over sin and death, over both physical death and spiritual death. That's what we're saying here. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus is declaring that a person needs to believe the truth about himself, that he is the resurrection, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he is the Savior. They need to believe that. And the one who believes and has this eternal life and will live forever. And that's because Jesus Christ's death and resurrection Revelation one eighteen, Jesus says, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead; behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Wonderful, wonderful verse. Again, it's important because we get I sometimes, I believe, my opinion. I don't know how shall I say this? But a little too concerned, a little too upset when a believer dies. You should be tempered with the truth. That person, the day that person dies, that's the best day of his life. It says in Ecclesiastes 7. better's the day of one's death if he's a than the day of one's birth. Birth, man, you're in a life of trouble, okay, difficulties. Death, man, you're out of here. Heaven, perfect, paradise, with Christ couldn't be any better. So the key then to having life is believing in Christ. It's having faith in him. It's simply we know this truth is believing that Jesus died for you and paid for your sins. Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In this context, verse 26, then, is the application of verse 25, the invitation, then, that Jesus has given to everyone to believe in him. And he says, do you believe this? Which is, you know, we talking to people about the gospel. It's good. Would well, you believe this? Do you believe what I've shared? Do you believe what God says in his word? Do you believe this? Jesus says, if you believe this, then you will keep living. And you will live forever. You will live spiritually. You will defeat death. All these different things. Because through Christ, you've defeated death. It's, a, it's an amazing truth. And it's the most important truth. That by having faith in Jesus Christ, we can defeat sin and death and live forever and ever. We're going to finish up this chapter now. 28-37. to 37. When she had said this, Martha, she went and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said to him, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus were saying, See how he loved him. That's the phileo love. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So again, Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He's been been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did not see that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had once had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his faith was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let me just mention some of the key points from here. First, we see that Jesus talks to Mary. We don't see, it doesn't say that Jesus said anything to her. I think that he probably did, but we don't know for sure. But I would have to say this, that his mere presence, Jesus' mere presence was comforting to Mary. The next thing, there's three verbs i want to look at that it says. It says he was deeply, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. That's number one. Number two, it says that he was troubled. And number three, it says that he wept. What do these mean? Just listen I'm just going to tell you what the Greek says. This is sometimes hard to figure these things out. The word "deeply moved" comes from a word that means snort like a horse. Have y'all heard a horse snort? Now, I'm not. Some of you guys could probably imitate. I can't. I'm not good at that kind of thing. Horses snort. That word means snort like a horse. Okay. The word trouble has the idea of strong emotions. The word weep, where it says Jesus wept, is found no other place in the New Testament. And the weep we talked about with Mary and Martha and others weeping is a different word. It's loudly wailing. This weep of Jesus was a strong weeping, but as a silent weeping. Okay. Strong, but silent. Not loud and sort of crazy and, you know, not that way. It was just a strong, silent weeping. This is what I believe is going on. Jesus had a lot of emotions. You all understand, if you have a tough situation like this, and if somebody in your family dies, there's all kinds of emotions. It's not like just one thing. I mean, one may dominate, but but you know what I'm saying. Difficult situations produce this emotion, that emotion. A lot of things going in his head. A lot of things. I mean, first, I think he felt really bad and sad for Mary and Martha. He, He loved them. He loved him a lot, and and he's sad they're going through this, and others that knew him and knew personally, I think it was just just conveying that. You know, the kind of thing you see somebody in a, a memorial service and you offer your condolences, you're really sad for them. You have compassion, you have sympathy. That's a good thing, okay? I believe that was going on there. On the other hand, I believe he is upset. This snort like a horse thought. Upset at all this loud, crying, and wailing, and why was he upset? Because of their lack of un, their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. And we we know if you know read the gospels enough, you know Jesus. He really did not like people to like when people didn't trust him. Oh, you have little faith. What's wrong with you? Why don't you just believe me? I, I believe he was troubled because of that. Again, he saw this lack of faith, this whole big commotion, and there's a lot of commotion going on in times like this. You know, people from all over come in this really close to Jerusalem and it's close to the Passover, and, and they're all weeping and wailing and crying, and he was deeply troubled, and he's upset, and I believe he was righteously angry because they weren't believing in him. That's, that's what I think could be happening here. Now, it also may have been, this might have happened too, this emotion, this thought, or the predicate for it, is that, that, that J, Jesus knew the problem was sin. Neither reason Lazarus died because of sin, okay? Sin results in death. That's, that's what the Bible says. Jesus knows that the main problem in life is sin and death and hell. He knows that, and so he sees that. I mean, think about this. Put yourself in Jesus' body for just a day if you can, and he was perfect, and he was holy, and he was light, and spiritually speaking, he was in the midst of darkness, all this darkness all over all the time, and he could just sense it, and he could feel it, and you know, he's a man of sorrows. So, so this is going on. I mean, we, we oftentimes, we live by our circumstances. We live by what we see and by what we feel. Jesus lived by his spirit. Yes, he lived by how he felt to some degree, and he had emotions, but, but by his spirit. And he was troubled. And he was sad. He saw this stuff going on. And so Jesus comes to the cave, told the people to remove the stone. Can you imagine what people are... Thinking, here's Jesus. I mean, he's he's the quote star of the show. Well, here he is. They know they knew he had raised people from the dead. He had done all kinds of miracles. What is he gonna do? And they know Lazarus is not just you know half a day dead, he's four days dead. That means he's he's that's it, he's gone. So much so that there's a stench. It's the odor. He says, remove the stone. This, and again, I don't know all that happened. All I knows is that Lazarus was lying down someplace in that cave, okay? He had all these wrappings around him. So he's lying there, he's lying there, and all of a sudden he hears this voice. The only thing I could think of is if any of you have had surgery, and you're in the recovery room, and you're, you've just been through an hour or two of no man's land, and you, you, you were, you know, you're out, you hear these voices. I was talking to Marsh about this, and you just all these voices, and it's sort of what's going on. Well, here's Lazarus, he hears this voice, and immediately he has to know it's Jesus. That's Jesus. And, of course, at that point in time, he hears his voice. At that point in time is when he's alive again. I mean, he's, he's physically alive, so he gets up. Oh, you imagine, what a scene. All these grave clothes, head to, head to foot. Yeah, and, and, the, and the stone is open, and he, he walks out, and there's all this wailing and crying, and people are going to what's happening. Jesus says, come forth, and here he comes forth. And he's alive. I mean, it's, it's a miraculous scene. I mean, it's quite a dramatic scene in the midst of all this crying and weeping and people doing this, that, and the other. They're upset, and, and they see this great, great miracle. And, it, and we, we go on to, to, to read about that there. The, it's it spread, and, and, and a lot of the people, Pharisees, that were upset because they knew that, man, this is going to make Jesus' popularity go up even more. And he was getting a lot, of, a lot of attention, a lot of glory, which was a good thing. It was a righteous thing. John 11, 40. Let's go back and we'll close here in this verse. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So this is what you need to think about. If you believe, if you trust in him, as you go through life, the little things, the big things, the hard things, the good things, the impossible things, believe the Lord. He'll come through for you sooner or later, and you'll see God's glory. And, of course, God's glory is a big word. He's power. Love, mercy, miracles—it covers really. Glory of God covers about everything that God does. Okay, you believe Him, and you'll see God come through. That's what we are saying here. So, but it's a question, and so you need to think of God asking you this question. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Again, He's trying to encourage the believers, Martha and us, then, too, to believe in him. And so this is, verse is about glory, God's glory, and it's about us having faith, about us believing in him so that we then do, do believe in him and see, then, victories. For our lives, yes, as I said before, it's about us, but it's also and more so for the Lord. And so I said before, God oftentimes puts you in tough situations, difficult, seemingly impossible Okay? I think all of you know that, at least to some degree. This is really hard. Lord, too much. I can't do it. He wants you to go to him. Look to him. Trust him. Ask him for the victory. He'll bring the victory. Now, sometimes it's not quite in the timing or quite in the way. We all understand prayer. God doesn't always answer our prayers just the way that we want. But you trust him. As it says in Job, yield now and be at peace with God. Thereby, good will come to you. You yield, which is a trusting. That's a way to trust. You yield. Okay, I give up. I trust you. I believe you're going to come through your way, your time. I trust you. Believing that, then you'll see the victory. And you'll be encouraged. And God then will get the glory. I'm not going to take time now, but when you go to the Psalms, and I, I don't know. Who knows? There could be 50 different examples of this. But much of Psalms is about David or others going through different trials. And then the psalm ends up with what phrase? What's that three-letter, three-word phrase? What is it? What is it? Praise the Lord. All kinds of stuff's happening. God comes through, delivers him, rescues Praise the Lord. Okay? It's best. Again, again and again and again and again. So if you want to look at other verses, go to Psalms, just have your readings. You'll see it. You'll see it so many times. I want to just conclude with just going back to the last message connected to this message because these, these two verses or these two sections here, 9 and 11, really are a good way to sum up your life, really big-picture verses. John chapter 9, in verse 1 to 3. Jesus passed by, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. There's a problem. This person's blind. And often well, we ask, why did it happen? Okay, good question. What's his answer? It was neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that something? It well, wasn't because of sin. The bigger picture than the sin is that God's going to work. God's going to get the victory. That's the big picture. I mentioned the example last time. Man, you had all this whole problem with Noah and all this sin and the flood and all kinds of problems, World too, all this sin and problems. And, but what's the big picture? We've got to see past the problems, past the sin, okay? And that's what we see here. So the point is God is doing his work. Regardless of what's going on in life, your life, or others, the world, God is doing his work. Then verse 4 of chapter 11, verse 4, chapter 11, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by it. So, for the verse, chapter 9 verse, this blindness, not end in blindness, ultimately it's for the glory of God. That is, God works in your life, and in this world, and this church, so he can get the glory. That's it. That's the message. That's, That's the big picture message of your life. God is working in and through you and in and through this church and all kinds of situations in this city and this world, so his work is accomplished, so he thinks it's the glory. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And I know, Father, that these truths, on one hand, are easy to say. It's when we go through the hard times. That's when it's tough. We're sitting there, there's pressure and the difficulty, the impossible situation, and and, and so, Lord, we just tell you, like that one verse, Mark 9, we do believe, help us in our unbelief. We do want to be ones who are not lacking faith. We want to have faith. But sometimes our faith is weak, and we will tell you we struggle, but we just ask you to help us to trust you more. So I would pray that, Lord, for each of us here in our church, that we have greater faith. As it says of some in the Bible, they have great faith. Help us to be ones who just trust you and believe you not because we want our lives to become healed or better or whatever the situation is, which on one hand is not a wrong prayer, but ultimately, so God, you get the glory. We get our priorities right. Lord, seeing ourselves as servants, as ones who are humble before you. Not that we want to be seen, but we want you, God, to be seen and glorified. So God, we ask you, increase our faith so that you can be glorified. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Thank you again for this time, for all the people here, those who are watching on, even Ralph and Evelyn as they're traveling back at this time someplace, I believe, in Georgia, others who couldn't make it with us today. Just, just pray you lead our church. Pray for Bethel, too. Thank you for them. Bless their lives and their mission trip. There a number are down in Costa Rica at this very hour. Pray you'd bless their time there and use them, God, for your glory. But thank you again for your love for us, each of us here. Lead us this day, this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Activities coming up. We have our... Bible study this Wednesday, if you're able to come out, 6.45. And then next Sunday, I just wanted to point out that we'll have a uh, guest uh, speaker, Ken Fuller. He's with TMAI, which is the Master's Academy. That's one of the um, uh, missionary groups that we support as a church from your tithes. We send in money to these three missionaries uh, organizations. Uh, Master's Academy is... Involved in uh, raising up uh, pre- pastors worldwide, and we support them basically in the country of Honduras. So that'll be interesting. Ken always gives a good uh, update on what's happening in those, his country there, Honduras, um, that we're supporting, and then around the world too with Masters Academy. Um, I say his country; it's not he's not from Honduras, but he's heavily involved there. But uh, so keep that in mind. And then um, two weeks away, we have our Matthew meal on uh, that Sunday, the 24th. And Saturday is the work day. If you're able to get involved, uh, that's two Sundays away or two weekends away, work day and Matthew meal. And now we have our last songs. And just a reminder as far as giving, you've got the box on the back table. You can mail it into the church or give online. Thank you.
0: invite you to stand for our last two songs of worship. Uh, This first one goes right along with what Steve's talking about. As they stood at the, the tomb of Lazarus, he says, Have faith in God. Have faith in me. Believe that I am capable of doing anything in your life that you desire, everything that I desire to do through you. Have faith in God. Boy, this is really uh, having a rough time here. I'm sorry, folks. It looked like a C and it's a G. Have faith in God, when your pathway is lonely, He sees and knows all the way you have trod.
1: Never alone are the least of His children, have faith in God, have faith in God. Have faith in God, He's on His throne, have faith in God. Watches or his own He cannot fail He must prevail Have faith, Have faith in God Have faith in God Have faith in God When your prayers are unanswered Your earnest plea will never forget Wait on the Lord Trust his word and be patient Have faith in God, he'll answer yet Have faith in God, he's on his throne Have faith in God, he watches for his own He cannot fail, he must prevail Have faith in God, have faith in God Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon Him and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches on His own He cannot fail He must prevail Have faith, in God. Have faith in God Have faith in God Have faith in God Though all else fail about you Have faith in God He provides for His own He cannot fail Though all kingdoms shall perish, He rules, He reigns upon His throne. Have faith in God, He's on His throne. Have faith in God, He watches over His own. He cannot fail, He must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in Him. God.
0: And we usually end with a "Go Get 'Em" song, and this is kind of a "Go Get 'Em" song. Um, as we're going out in the world, we are soldiers for Jesus Christ. We are servants to go and serve, and uh, He is our King. And he leads the way in our lives uh, of everywhere he wants us to go and everything he wants us to do. So we're, this is a great prayer. Lead on, O King Eternal.
1: Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come. Henceforth in fields of conquest, thy tent shall be our home. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. Lead on, O King Eternal, till things war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet oven of peace. For not his swords loud clashing nor with stirring drums With deeds of love and mercy The heavenly kingdom comes Lead on, O King eternal We follow not with fears For gladness breaks like morning Where thy face appears Thy cross is lifted over us we journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O oh God of might. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O oh God of might.